take your Bible, if you would, please turn to Genesis chapter 18. Um, I started this message um, last Sunday morning. And let me go where I was uh, there to beginning while you turn. Where did I tell you to turn? All right, you just turn there. All right, do what I said. Uh, and Psalm chapter 1. Uh, God's laid this on my heart, and that song that we sing, uh, In my hand, no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That has everything to do with the righteousness of Christ, and uh, I'll explain that as we move on. Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite psalms, I like it, and it, it took me a while, I struggled with it for years. I, I did like what Martin Luther did. I struggled with the idea that here God is blessings out to people who qualify under certain conditions. And so I, I was reading this psalm and, and I kind of got angry at God. And it's like, God, that's not fair because when I look at my life, let me read this to you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I knew that that was not me. As much as I like to read the Bible, as much as I like to study and find out things from God's Word, I don't know everything yet, but I think i got a pretty good handle on some things. But I, don't, I certainly don't have the whole Bible memorized. But I look at that and I know that I don't meditate on God's word 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't meditate on it the whole time I'm awake. I just, I just don't. There's been times when I've walked in the counsel of ungodly people. I've done it. There was a time when I stood where the sinners were, being like sinners. There was a time when I scorned people who believed the word of God. I did it. And so if I were to look at this and say that I am getting righteousness by the things that I have done, there's not a chance in the world that I'm that righteous and I do not qualify for that first word in that verse is blessed is, or that first phrase, blessed is the man that is, that does these things. I knew I didn't qualify. Let me keep reading. Uh, verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I also knew that at that time I did not see very much prospering. And I don't mean prospering money wise. I mean prospering in the ministry. I did, just didn't seem like I was getting through to anybody. It didn't seem like uh, I was, had any use for God's kingdom whatsoever. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I want you to notice that word and focus on it. Congregation. What does that imply? The church. This church. My prayer. My prayer. My desire is that this church behaves itself in a righteous manner as much as is possible. But I also know that it is not possible 
for everyone in this church to be completely righteous in and of themselves. It will never happen. Now, that's not something you hear from a lot of churches or a lot of preachers. They want to tell you, and I got this advertisement rolling around in my head. It was on, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was an advertisement for Joel Osteen stuff. And those people were, they were picking people out to say all these things, great things about Joel Osteen. And the overwhelming thing was they kept repeating this. A guy would say, man, when I listen to his messages, it's all positive. There's nothing negative in there. And then somebody else would say the same thing. It's just, it's just a lot of positive energy that I get from his preaching. And then somebody else talking about how positive Joel Osteen is. Let me tell you something about that. If all he does is tell you positive things, he is hiding at least half of the truth away from you. He's constantly trying to tell people that they can be champions for God, that they have it in them, that they could do good things and God would release blessings to them. He is lying through his teeth. It's like the guy that we met at, uh, at, at MUFON, uh, Brother Will Fant, you and your wife are listening this morning. You, you remember him. He was a uh, Rosicrucian. And he had a position there with the Mutual UFO Network. And we were talking, going back and forth. And I think I surprised him because I knew what Rosicrucian doctrine was. And he came up with this saying. He said, because, you know, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. And I went, hold it. Time out. Technical foul. I said... And I was, I was nice about it. I said, the Bible doesn't say that. And it, he went. And I said, it doesn't. I said, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps everyone who can't help themselves. That's why he helps them. God is not looking to call the righteous. He's looking to sinners to give them his righteousness. So, when it says, look at the that verse one again, blessed is the man. The only man who qualifies for these conditions is Jesus Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, so this is what I preached last Sunday. Genesis 15, that's our kid, Genesis 18. We're going to show you this morning from the Bible the scarcity of the righteous. And let's just, just for this part of the message, let's just say that the righteous, we would would make a a low-hanging fruit out of this. It'll be a low hurdle for everybody to jump over and practically everybody can get over this hurdle. So let's just say then that this righteousness that he's that is being spoke of here is just a bare minimum of things of people that they want to do right. They want to be right. They try to do good things every day and they know the Ten Commandments. They know the commandments of God. They know what's right and what's wrong. They know that... um, that marriage is between a man and a woman and, and you shouldn't step out on your spouse. You should hold yourself to, to the vows that you made. And so they, they work at not being guilty of the sin of adultery. They, they don't go around stealing from everybody they do business with or go around stealing stuff in stores. They, they try to tell the truth as often as they can and so on. So let, let's just make this a low hurdle 
of righteousness. And even when we do it that way, we find out that most people still do not qualify for even that kind of righteousness. This is Abraham, and Jesus is the man who accompanied these two angels. And the Lord said to these angels, should, should we hide this from Abraham, what we're fixing to do, or should we tell him? And so the Lord goes to Abraham, tells him, these, these two angels, they're going to go to Lot, your nephew, they're going to rescue him and his family because God's going to destroy Sodom. Because its sin has reached up to heaven. And so we pick it up in verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now we know God's a good God. God will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Did he not save Noah? So clearly he's not going to do that. Peradventure, Abraham is the first Jew. Remember that. Because he's going to display Junus. He's going to Jew God down from 50 to 10. Amen. All right. Peradventure, there'd be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge, capital J, that's always Jesus. Always is Jesus. Shall the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abraham probably knew Sodom. So in verse 27, And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And we know the rest of the text leading up to verse 32 that Abraham breaks God down to 40 and then 35 and then 30, 25, 20, and so on. And then we get to verse 32. And he said, O Lord, he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned into his place. Now, if you want to know what happened next, just read Genesis 19. Because in Genesis 19, we know the story. That God looked through all of Sodom, Gomorrah, uh, Adma, and um, I can never remember the fourth city, but there are four cities total. And Zebulun, I keep wanting to say Zebco, but that's a rod and reel. Um, Zebulun, and so God looks at all four of these cities, there's no doubt in my mind. And in all four, he doesn't find ten righteous people. They're not to be found, at least in Sodom, but maybe in all four of those cities. He cannot find ten people that are righteous. Now, ask yourself the question, would God be able to find ten in the state of Missouri? 
would God be able to find ten in the city of Festus? Would God be able to find ten in the United States of America? Would God be able to find ten righteous people? Perfect in the eyes of the Lord. Would God be able to find ten to preserve and keep his judgment from falling upon the United States of America? And I think we all know the answer to that. The answer is no. God could not even find them in one church. The mere fact that you came this morning does not tell me how righteous you are. It tells me your knowledge of you being a sinful soul. Else, why would we come here? Why would you come into a place where you are surrounded by sinners? Because if you yourself thought of yourself as righteous and you came into this church and got to know everybody, then before long you would find yourself believing that you sit high and above everybody else that you go to church with and would ask the question, how come God doesn't make them like he made me? Perfect. Did you know that we had, we've had several families in this church that believed that? One of them, they moved all the way from uh, Pennsylvania, I think it was, I think it was and, I, and I told them, be careful about moving here because if you're not going to fit in with us, I mean, it may not go well. They didn't, they moved and came here and he called me in the office one Sunday afternoon and he said, Pastor Mike, I got a problem. I said, well, what's your problem? And he said, I'm having a hard time trying to tell the people in this church how they ought to be living. I'm not making that up. He sat there and he told me he's already been run out of five churches already. And I'm going, six, but I'm not going to say that yet. But it happened. It didn't happen that day. But I think just about a month or two later, he was causing more trouble. Him and his whole family was causing more trouble than I've ever seen. And I finally set him down. I said, let me tell you something. I'm not your pastor. I'm not your pastor. I'm not the man you're looking for. They left, they went to a neighboring church that I know the pastor very well. He and I are good friends. We remain good friends. Went to that church, and I thought maybe I should say something. I don't know. I didn't say anything. That pastor called me six months later and said, do you know such and such family? I said, yeah. He said, I think I'm going to have to church them out. I said, well, let me tell you what they did here. And he's going, yep, yep, that's what they're doing here. They're doing the same thing here. That man said to me, I'm having a problem getting the people in this church to live how they need to live. And I said, maybe it's because it's not your job. Maybe it's it's not even my job to enforce certain rules and codes of conduct upon everybody. That is the job of the Holy Spirit of God to take you and shake you and, and blow away all the dross and, the, and, and the, uh, the guilt and the stain of our sin and cause us to want to do right. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. So, I mean, that, that kind of stuff just don't, it don't last long with me. I, don't, I just don't put up with it. I know me. I know my family. Which means all my children and then all of my grandchildren, lo and behold, my grandchildren are turning out just like me in all the wrong ways. And I don't like it. 
But I know them, and I know the people in this church. I love you. I think you're good people, and I think you love the Lord. But I'm not going to kid myself, and I'm not going to gloss over your sins and act like they don't happen. Because they do. And if I feel strongly enough about it, I will tell you. I will tell you. I will come to you personally, and I will sit down with you, and I will tell you. You're doing this. I know you're doing it. And let me show you in the Bible what it says about this. This is wrong. I've had situations where that went well. I've had situations where it didn't go so well. And we've lost a family or two over that. Let me go to the Lord and pray. Father, we ask your blessings now upon your word. Father, speak to me first. Cause me to understand. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom. So that I can share, Father, what you've taught me and the things that you've told me. I can share it with these people. And Lord, they know me at least enough to know that I never, ever claim to be self-righteous. I used to, God. You knew it. You were there with me the whole time. In my days of self-righteousness, looking down my nose at people that I felt were lesser than me. And God, I'm very, very thankful that you found a way to humble and humiliate me so that I can never, ever claim to be better than what I am. I thank you for the righteousness of Christ that is on my life. And Lord, help us, Father, as a church, help me as a pastor, to convey the message of Christ's righteousness and not my own. Bless your word this morning in Jesus' name and amen. Now look in Matthew chapter 23. Turn there if you would, please. Boy, Matthew 23 is a, it's a powerful sting upon the Pharisees that Jesus was referring to in this passage. Also to those who read it and think of themselves as being morally upright, morally righteous, and so on. And let me just kind of give you examples of, of some things that I mean. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple videos floating around, and I've seen them before, and, and I know this by, by way of testimony of a young man who was a former Mormon and um, was working on being a Mormon missionary. Uh, but he, at that time, he was struggling, and he knew he was. He was a young man. He was right at the perfect age of being a Mormon missionary. And he was struggling with some issues, and he confided in me and told me about them, and I, so I don't have liberty to say what they were or the nature of them. They, he just told me that he struggled with certain things, and I told him I understood, and, and uh, we prayed and so on. But even as a Mormon missionary, and let me tell you about Mormonism, Mormonism is no different, really, than a lot, a lot, of other churches in this country and around the world that will add works of obedience or they will add things that look good on the outward appearance to salvation and claim then that they are righteous because they act in a certain way or they dress in a certain way or they appear in a certain way or they do certain things. This one video, these two Mormon missionaries we're at this people's front door and they had one of them nest doorbells with a camera and a microphone. 
And while they were knocking on the door, I mean, here they are in their nice white shirts, you know, and got a dark tie, and they got short sleeve shirts, they got dark pants, and they got a Bible, and they got a Book of Mormon, and boy, they're going to straighten these people out. And they're standing on these people's front porch telling dirty jokes. And these guys are 19 or 20 years old. What do 19-year-old guys do? Hey, Jerry, hey, man, what do we do when we teenagers in school? We told dirty jokes. So they're standing at this door, ready to go in and brag about how righteous they are and how moral their church is and how they don't drink coffee and how they do this and do that and, and so on. And they don't go to dances and they don't smoke and they don't chew and they don't run with those that do. And all their women, they dress nice and they believe in marriage for eternity and all this nonsense. And they're telling everybody how good they are as human beings. The truth is, they're lying through their teeth. A Catholic... You say, boy, you're beating up on the Catholics. I'm not beating on upon them. I love them. I want them to be saved. But as long as you believe that angels and saints have a part in your salvation, as long as you believe that Mary can forgive your sins as equal as a Catholic priest or Jesus himself can, you, are, you have got the wrong gospel. And you're headed for a devil's hell believing it. But Catholicism lays strict guidelines upon people to the extent that uh, they, they do not accept, from my understanding, divorce of practically any kind. They do, they, um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, they, um, oh, what are some of the other things they do? Come on, Mike, think. Uh, but anyway, they have, a, they have a list of rules and regulations. Don't eat, don't eat meat on Friday. I always thought catfish was meat. Amen. It, it ought to be, if it's not, it ought to be, amen. But how you can't eat meat on Fridays and you have to, you have to go to uh, service at least once a week or at least twice a year in order to maintain your salvation. You have to go to the confessional booth uh, as often as you sin and pour out every disgusting, immoral, nasty thing to this unmarried man, this bachelor, in, inside this booth who, I guarantee you, he knows who you are. Guarantee it. And that old devil of a priest in that church is preying on your children and you're part of that. And those people have strict moral guidelines. They have certain sins that they call uh, uh, mortal sins and then venial sins. And I guess it's okay if you commit the venial sins because you can confess them in the booth and then the, the, everything will be okay. But if you've got mortal sins, you've got you've to kind of go up to the top of the ladder in order to confess to somebody of a high status, a mortal sin, just a regular priest cannot forgive you those sins. Let me tell you something. Priests cannot forgive your sins anyway. The forgiveness of sins is something that belongs solely to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So now, Matthew 23 is written to all of these Catholic and Protestant and cult Christian religions. It's written to Islam, it's written to Jews, it is written to everybody who has a form of religion and self-righteousness on the outward appearance, but inwardly they are full of sin. Matthew 23, 27, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He's not talking to the people down at the pool hall. He's not talking to the people uh, down in the, in the drunk tank. He's not talking to the people in prison who are robbers. He is speaking to the upper class of the religious crowd. And he says, woe unto you, you scribes and you Pharisees. You're a bunch of hypocrites. And if anybody had a right to call anybody a hypocrite, it would have been Jesus Christ. Amen? 
He had no mote or beam to pull out of his eye. Not one. And he said, look at what he said. He said, for you are like unto whited sepulchers. What is a sepulcher? It's a tomb. We, we spend thousands of dollars to dress up a coffin that will be seen one time and then buried in the ground. I'm not kidding. You put me in a box, a refrigerator box. Amen. Listen, let my, let my, let my body turn back to dust. Amen. Because it means nothing to me in the, in the role of my salvation. In fact, the sooner I get rid of it, the better off I'm going to be. But he said, that's what you are. He said, your religion is a whited sepulcher. On the outside, boy, it looks good. Chris, I used to drive up and down streets and see these nice new churches and these churches that have multi-million dollar building programs and how they look, make their church look all nice and neat and how they, oh, they're big on the inside. They've got, you know, 500, 1,000 people, 2,000 people. I used to sit and drive around and look at that and be, and just mean covet, covet that. Oh, I want that for our church. Oh, I want that. God, why don't you give that to me? God, why don't you give And God would always say, well, Mike, you don't deserve it, number one, so hush. Okay. But God was saying, Mike, that's a show. That's a show. They're putting on a show. They're putting on a theatric. They're doing it because it's eye candy and it's lust of the eyes is what it is. And you fell for it. Yeah, I did. And there's a verse I'm going to read you in a little bit. Basically says, I'd rather have almost nothing and be righteous than to have everything and be wicked. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And I would say, listen, I know a lot about fundamentalist Christianity. I know a lot about so-called holiness living. Where you ladies would never, ever dare put a pair of scissors to your hair. You would never, ever dare be seen in public with anything other than a dress, at least halfway down your calves, if not slapping you on the ankles when you walk. And how men would never even have hair even touching their ears, which is not a problem for some of you guys. Amen. It just don't touch, does it? You would never, you, you, we, and so we cut our hair short, and we put on these nice suits on Sunday, and ladies always wear a dress, and they wear a dress everywhere they go, and they don't go anywhere without a dress, and they look feminine, and they act feminine, and all this stuff. I'm not opposed to it. But don't let it be a whited sepulcher. Don't come here dressed to the nines as far as what you think looks righteous and makes you look holy and makes you look spiritual. In fact, I listen, I've been around long enough to know that the people who like to adorn the outside, there's probably more sin on the inside than they, than they want everybody to know. That's why they put on that stuff. They want to look good on the outside. They want to look spiritual on the outside. They want to look like they are fundamentalists on the outside. Or they want to look like they're holiness Pentecostals on the outside. And you would never even see. I mean, there's some holiness Pentecostal groups. We used to have a school with a student in it. 
They had a rule that the men could not wear short sleeve dress shirts. All their shirts had to be long sleeve shirts down to the cuff here. And I'm like, what? where in the world does that come from? Somebody invented a rule that said that's how you're supposed to live. And that shows that you're holiness. you got the Holy Ghost on the inside. And that shows it right there. And I'm saying, that's a bunch of garbage. Every religion knows how to dress up its priest and its clergy and its people, but they don't know how to live. Beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And that means everything that's filthy, dirty, nasty, unclean. Verse 28, even so you also outwardly appear righteous in the men. I remember I was at a church one time that was having a Bible conference, a preaching conference, camp meeting. And the pastor had, there was this uh, woman, and she had this, I think she was about 13-year-old daughter. And she had homeschooled this daughter, and I'm not against that at all. We, we do homeschooling here. I'm in, all in favor of it. But she had homeschooled this daughter and she had taught her a lot. She taught her how to play the harp. She taught her how to play instruments. She taught her how to memorize scripture. She taught her how to memorize uh, speeches and, and words of men and so on. And she taught her how to dress to make it look like, you know, she was this holy, holy young lady. And uh, at this particular camp meeting, this woman uh, went to the pastor, got permission to put her up on the stage. And she put on a show. Man, I mean, she put on a show. She played their instruments and she recited her recitations or her poetry or some sermons that she had memorized. She quoted scripture and she did all these things. And, and, and everybody, when she's all done, she comes down, big smile on her face. And all these preachers come up to her. Oh, you're so godly. Oh, God, thank God for you. You're so, such a godly young lady. And I'm just standing there looking at this and I'm going, how dare they? Let me tell you what they're doing to this young girl. They're telling her that the outward appearance is all that matters. Because they don't know on the inside of her what's really there. But I guarantee you, ladies, when you used to be 13, was every thought that you had righteous and holy and Acceptable in the eyes of God? No. I know that because us boys at 13 didn't have righteousness in our, on the inside. We were told to look right on the outside. We were told to cut our hair a certain way. We were told to comb in a certain way. We were told what pants to wear, what not to wear. We followed the rules. We did what we were told. But I was still so disgusting on the inside. Outwardly, you appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And you know, I'll tell you who was really eating this up. Was that girl's mother. She f- waved her flag around of this, of this daughter she had. She waved her around in everybody's face and said, Boy, look at my daughter. Look at, my da- look at what my daughter did. My daughter's, she's righteous. She's holy. She does these things. You kids that go to public school, you'll never be like my daughter. I guarantee you that was what was behind it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I just know the type. I know self-righteous people pretty well because I used to be the worst of them. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 29, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. In verse 30, he says, And say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. That's boasting. That's arrogance. That's pride. You're saying that, boy, if I would have been in the Garden of Eden, I would have told my wife to sit down and keep her mouth shut. You eat that fruit, don't you even bring that to me. I won't have nothing to do. If God should have picked me to be Adam. And I, listen, I know how these people think because I used to be one of them. And I got called out when I was in Bible college for being the most arrogant idiot in all the whole campus because I felt like I was better than everybody else there because I had standards that I lived by. I wasn't like those sinners there who wore shorts. Good grief. I was so full of myself, God couldn't use me. So he took me out for a while. I'm just telling you the truth. If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you're the children of them which killed the prophets. If it was in your granddaddy, it's in you. You would have done this. This is Jesus. Who knows better than Jesus of the individual stain that each one of us have on our lives? Who knows it better than our Lord? And if he says to those people that they would have been just like their fathers, I guarantee you he knows them. He's, he's qualified to say it. You be witness unto yourselves that you're the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your fathers. You know, in other words, just, you just keep going like your fathers did. You, and then he calls them this, you servants... You generation of vipers. That means the, the devil is your daddy. The devil is your mama. You were birthed in sin. You inherited the sins of your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather. You're turning out just like them and you will always be like them and you will never be any better than that. So my goodness, Pastor Mike, what, what in the world... What must we, if we're like the people in the book of Acts chapter 2, what must we do to be saved then? You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Question mark. That's the big question then, isn't it? If I cannot expect that the inward me, the flesh, is never going to be any better than it already is now, how in the world can I ever expect to go to heaven? Deuteronomy 9, turn there. Deuteronomy 9. Appreciate you hanging with me. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. He said, Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee. In other words, they're going into the promised land. And Moses fixing to die off, and then they're fixing to go into the promised land. Joshua's going to lead them. And he's saying, when you get there, and God has cast all these people out, don't make this mistake. And trust me, this mistake is made by more church people than probably anything else that we can do wrong. We make this mistake. 
We, it's, I, think it's in our, I think it's in our sin nature. I think it's part of the package of what makes us sinners. We seem, even though we've read verses that disqualify these thoughts and totally disagree with these thoughts, we still have it as part of us that we think now that we, if, we, if we had a good day yesterday, and yesterday we just didn't, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of temptation around, there just wasn't a lot of sin going on. I mean, yesterday was a pretty good day. You rested on the Lord's Sabbath, you know, and you read your Bible and you prayed and, and you didn't watch any you know, dirty things on TV and you didn't listen to any, you didn't listen to Willie Nelson yesterday. Or anybody else for that matter whose names I don't keep up with. You didn't listen to no rock and roll, rap, country music. You didn't listen to any of that stuff yesterday and yesterday was a pretty good day. I guarantee you, part of you says, I wonder what God's going to do for me today. We want rewarded for what we do right. But according to Ezekiel 33, you write this down. Ezekiel 33, that's all I'm going to tell you. You write this down because according to Ezekiel 33, let's say, let's say, let's say that yesterday you had a 100% straight, no sin day yesterday. Let's say that was you yesterday. According to what God said in Ezekiel 33... The first time you sin after a 100% perfectly clean day yesterday, the first time you sin today, all of that righteousness is gone. So where does that leave you on the scales now of God's justice? You've been weighed and found wanting. And all these people who say, Oh, God's going to weigh my good deeds against my bad deeds. And, and I guarantee I do more good things than bad. And God, they don't know. They don't know. They've never read in the Bible. No one's ever told them. Maybe they're afraid of them. I don't know. But no one's ever told them that in the day that they commit one sin, poof, all that righteousness is gone. And now God, God can kill you right then and there and be justified in doing it and send you to hell for eternity because you committed one sin. Speak not thou in thine heart after that the Lord God, thy God hath cast him out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. God's saying, uh-uh. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart, if there was any. Dost thou go to possess their land? But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what is the reason? Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. So he's telling Jew. Now listen. Every conspiracy theory that involves a Jew is probably right. Is there an international Jewish Zionist conspiracy? Yeah, pretty sure there is. Are there, is there an international Jewish banker uh, cabal that is trying to gain the wealth of the world? Yeah, probably. Jews are good bankers. They make good movies and TV shows. They're very good at the things they do. So it doesn't surprise me. If you were to pick a people to be God's people... You would never pick the Jews to be it. But that's why God picked them. 
He didn't pick them because they were the best people or they were the most. If you look in Deuteronomy 7, he says, I didn't pick you because you were the best people or the biggest people. I picked you because I loved you. I made a promise to Abraham. I made a promise to Isaac. I made a promise to Jacob before any of you ever came along. I knew well, I knew you were in them while they were sinning. You're still a sinner like they are, but I put my love on them and I love you the same way. No matter what you do, I love you. So much so that at the end of time, everything is going to revert back to the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somebody say amen. Listen, you take Israel out of your salvation equation, you've messed up because if God can break his word to the Jews, he'll bust his word to you too. And God's not going to do it. God said they're a stiff-necked people. They're ornery. They're mean. They're full of pride. They're full of wickedness. My goodness, the largest sodomite community in the Middle East is Tel Aviv, Israel. They even sell travel packages to sodomites to go on a cruise ship to Tel Aviv, Israel, spend a week in total debauchery, and return back home. They'll sell you a package because they're saying Tel Aviv's full of them. I've seen the advertisements. I know they do. But God loved them. So why did God give them that land? Because he made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Isaac. He made a promise to Jacob. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know the prayers that your mama prayed for you or the prayers your dad prayed for you or maybe your grandma or your grandpa Maybe you don't know about the prayers they prayed for you. But they probably did. I do know that one of the last things my grandmother said concerning me before she died, she was full of cancer. And mom and dad had told her that I was trying out at the church down at Richwood's. And Mima said, oh, I'm so glad Michael's going to be preacher. Boy, that blessed me. So maybe, not for your righteousness, but for a prayer that was prayed for you, is the reason why God has been so good to you. Amen. And you know, I see all these kids here. I see all these young people here. Their mamas and daddies are praying for them. Their grandma and grandpa's praying for them. They want them to turn out right. They want them to turn out and serve God. I want one of them to be a preacher. Okay? Just not the girl ones, all right? <laughs> I don't want no Joyce's in my... <laughs> but I want God to bless them like he did me. Because somebody prayed for me. My mama, my daddy, my grandma, they prayed for me. You pray for your children. You pray for your grandchildren. God's not done yet, and God's not done saving people. Anybody that says that he is, I'll have words with them. God's still in the saving business. 
and people are still sinners, so there's a whole bunch of business out there to, to do for them. Amen? Don't stop praying, Gary. I don't know why you're in my head right now, but don't stop praying, because I know you pray for your kids. Don't stop praying for them. God will bring them around. You just watch and see. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give you time if you want. Look here. I'm putting you out before 1230. Boy, that, you write that down in your Bible, all right? If you want to, you can more than welcome to come up here. These bears on the front row won't bite you. You come down to one of these benches down here and pray and get with, get with God. and You just have you just a, a Holy Ghost time down here on your knees. More than welcome to do it. But um, you call upon the Lord this morning. And you pray for your children. You pray for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Look here. We got, we got some, a daddy praying for his little girl. We got people praying. Wanting to come and visit with Jesus for a while.